I, I think we can all agree that quarantine sucks. Um, it's not fun to have to stay home, and every time you go out, you have to wear masks, and all your, all your restaurants that you like to go to are closed, or at least you can't go and sit down there. You can't meet with friends and eat there. You, you have to get food and take it home and all that kind of stuff. That, you know, uh, amusement parks are closed. You can't really go and, uh, and even play on playgrounds. They're, those are all closed. Um, gyms are closed. Everything that you like to do is closed because, uh, because we're locking down for, because of this whole coronavirus, COVID-19, right? Um, and because of that, uh, you can imagine that that's had some serious effects on church life, not just our church, but churches abroad, uh, all, over the, all over the world. Um, and one of the concerns that I'm sure you can uh, get a feeling for is uh, just the spiritual atrophy that happens if you're not meeting with the body and using your spiritual gifts and uh, building one another up, being built up. There's a, if you're not being built up, then there's a breakdown that starts to occur. Uh, and that's a, that's a deep concern for, for all of us. Um, and it's, uh, it's just kind of something that's motivated uh, this, this kind of new discussion, I guess. We're, we're revisiting the Sermon on the Mount. It's something that I, I certainly have taught on before um, in an exposition of, of the, the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and all those recordings are online. But I want to come back and, and just uh, re, re, revisit the Sermon on the Mount because I do believe that this is Jesus' greatest uh, single sermon that he's given and it encompasses all of life, no matter what you're going through, somewhere in these three chapters, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, in these three chapters where he just talks uninterrupted, uh, anything that you're going through is somewhere addressed in, in this sermon. Uh, this is Jesus' commentary uh, not just on, on life, but on faith and how everything is, is uh, connected and works together. And so, uh, especially in a time like this where we're at home and, uh, and life is very different and upside down from the way that we're used to living it, and, uh, and we're starting to feel drift and, and uh, you know, not, not really knowing what we're supposed to be doing with ourselves at times and, uh, you know, not, not sure how long this is going to go. We don't have any, any amount of certainty. During a time like this, uh, it'd be good to come back and recalibrate and just see what does Jesus say about life and about faith and about how it all works together. So, Sermon on the Mount, um, and it begins with these first 12 verses, uh, and uh, if you've got your Bible, it, uh, sometimes it's, uh, it's subtitled, the, the pericope is titled the Beatitudes, which is just a Latin word. We just kept the Latin translation for some reason, but it just means the blessings, the blessings, okay? And uh, it'll become very obvious uh, why it's called the blessings in just a second. Look at ver- verse one. It says, Matthew chapter five, verse one. Seeing the crowds, he, meaning Jesus, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Uh, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, and we'll stop right there. Uh, you have to kind of understand the, the context a little bit here. Jesus is speaking to crowds, right? Now, this is only chapter five, of, uh, of the Gospel of Matthew, which is, you know, it's uh, almost 30 chapters, but uh, this is still relatively the beginning. The first four chapters have just been this, uh, this uh, collection of little scenes and stories that, that Matthew put together to prove to his Jewish audience that Jesus is the prophesied Messiah. He's the guy that they've been waiting for. 
And uh, four chapters ha- have been dedicated, you know, just th- that whole body of, uh, of information that he's written uh, in Matthew 1, 2, 3, and 4 just proves his point over and over and over again that Jesus did this and this and this, and it fulfilled this prophecy and this prophecy and this prophecy. Um, and as he does that, uh, he starts uh, letting the, the reader know that this is accruing a very large audience. Jesus is uh, able to teach with incredible wisdom. He's, uh, he's doing these healings and, and casting out demons and performing wonders and mighty deeds. And uh, all of this is happening in an age where there is no television, no radio, no magazines, no, you know, th- th- there's nothing printed and, and thrown around uh, in, in mass production or anything like that. And so the only way for news to travel is purely by word of mouth, right? They just heard it from someone else. There's this guy, Jesus, he's walking around northern Israel, Galilee, right, which is northern Israel. There's this guy named Jesus, this, this peasant guy. Uh, he's the son of a carpenter. He's not, he's not like one of the, the, the Pharisees. He's, he's not one of them. He's got a completely different kind of message. He's going around talking about forgiveness, and, uh, and, he's, and he's backing it up with these incredible signs from heaven. And it's, it's got this audience that's been accruing. It started by, uh, by this guy named John the Baptist in chapter 3, um, where John the Baptist is preaching this message of repentance and saying a Messiah is coming, that like the, the Lamb of God, he, he's on his way. The one that we've all been waiting for is, is, is almost here. And he says, prepare the way, prepare the way. Repent and, and, uh, and believe the kingdom of God is, is upon us, right? And so he starts doing this. And it says in, uh, in chapter 3 that uh, it attracted people from Jerusalem, which is capital city, and Judea, which is southern Israel, and around the Jordan, which is on the side of Israel. So it, he starts gathering a really big audience just from his message of saying, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and he's doing all these things and teaching all this stuff, and he's, he's this peasant guy. And everyone's like, is this the guy that John was talking about? I heard that, that John the Baptist looked at Jesus and straight up said, this is the Lamb of God. This is the Messiah. And, uh, and other people are saying, like, we found him, the one that Moses and the prophets have been writing about. So Jesus has this, uh, this snowballing reputation that's, uh, that's moving around throughout Israel purely by word of mouth. And so the only way for people to tune in and find out more about him is they can't, they can't like, you know, turn on television and watch a, uh, a news program. They can't. They can't read an article about him or, or you know, go to a blog or anything like that. So they have to go out and see him. Be like, what is this? This is very different than, uh, than anything that we've experienced before, so I want to go find out what that is. And they have to go out to him, and so crowds start to gather. In chapter 4, it says that Jesus is teaching throughout northern Israel, which is Galilee, and uh, his fame spreads everywhere, even among the Gentile cities and, and Gentile nations. I'll, I'll show it to you. It's uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 25. It says, great crowds followed him from Galilee, that's northern Israel, and the Decapolis which is 10 cities uh, that, are, that are Gentile populated. And from Jerusalem, that's capital city down south, and Judea, that's the whole southern uh, Israel, and from beyond the Jordan, meaning countries that are not Israel. They're not Jewish, which means they are Gentile nations. Gentile just means not Jewish, right? Um, so you have that at the end of chapter 4 where great crowds are following Jesus because they, they've come to hear all these incredible, mysterious things about him. And so everyone says, what's his message? What's, uh, what's his deal? Who is he? Is he actually uh, the person that we think he is? Uh, what's he going to say to us? What's, if, if he is 
like the, you know, the messenger from God, if he's the Messiah that's come to save us and stuff, what's he going to tell us? What's his deal? What's the one thing he wants us to know? And this is so important in Israel because they're a religious society, right? That's a nation that is defined by its religion. To say you're Jewish is not just to say what country you're from, but it's also to say what religion you're from. In that time, that's what a Jew was. It was someone who was part of Judaism. And it's someone from the, the, that nation, from their, uh, their bloodline, their biological descent. But it's also someone uh, who, in faith, believes in Judaism. So they were Jews. Now, uh, Jesus... He, you know, he, he's on this mountainside next, next to the Sea of Galilee and, um, and all these crowds come out to him and everyone's talking about how he can heal and how he can do miracles and teach and all that stuff and uh, the, the, uh, the demographic of his crowd comes from all sorts of different people groups. It's peasants and nobles. It's servants and masters. Uh, there are sinners you know, outcasts and, and evil people. And then there are believers and faithful people, religious people and stuff. There are Pharisees and Sadducees, which are two warring factions of leadership in Israel. There are supporters and there are opposers. The, uh, the crowd that's there and the crowd that he keeps gathering throughout the, the, the Gospel of Matthew uh, is one that uh, is, uh, is comprised of people from every different social ladder and, and every different political or religious disposition. And he saw the crowds, which is why it's multiple crowds, because they all probably, you know, kind of cluster together, right? You, you tend to stand with who you stand with. So you got multiple crowds. He sees the crowds. He went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, and look at that wind up that Matthew gives. He doesn't just go, Jesus taught them, or Jesus said. He says, he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, and he's, he's kind of prepping the reader, saying, like, this is it. This is the moment. This is is his opening message. Verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now let's stop there for a second. Verses 3 through 10, uh, they make this eight-part unit of blessings, eight-part unit of beatitudes, right? The uh, it, it uh, begins and ends with this little bookending thing, right? Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven. And then at the end, blessed are those who persecute for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's got the same opening and closing. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, these are the people 
that belong to heaven. These are the people who will be in heaven. These are the people who receive the gift of heaven. This is, this is what heaven is about. These are the people that, uh, that heaven will be filled with. And it's, uh, and it's this, he's saying blessed, right? That uh, there's this, this uh, angle to it where he says, these are the blessed people. And you have to kind of play around with that because you go, what does blessed mean? Because blessed is a, that's such a religious word, right? Blessed is such a, you don't really say blessed unless you're trying to tap into some spiritual nuance of what you're saying, right? I'm very blessed. What, what, what do you mean by that? Either you mean, uh, if, if you're trying to be non-religious about it, if you're, uh, you know, if you're taking the, the atheist definition of blessed, it just sounds like prosperous or fortunate. You know, good things are happening. And uh, honestly, that's not even that far from an accurate way of using the word, right? Uh, you could say, uh, like, you have my blessing. And when you say you have my blessing, it means like my support, my regard is positive toward you and stuff. And that is a pretty, like, okay way to understand the word blessing. I don't think you should take the word blessing and say that it means happy, because I, I hear this happen all the time. I, I, I hear this, um, and I, I read this a lot, where, uh, where preachers and, and authors will say blessed, blessed means happy. I, I just don't think that that's an adequate definition. Um, that, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's, it's the Easterner in me. But, uh, you know, when you come from Eastern cultures, like an honor-shame uh, dynamic is, is a lot more vibrant and, uh, and relevant. Whereas in like a Western culture, uh, honor, shame doesn't really mean a whole lot. There's just kind of innocence, guilt, and happy and unhappy. You know, there's it's it's a little different. The uh, like the the framework of thought, but uh, Israel is very much an Eastern kind of a, a thought. You know, um, it's uh, this idea of who is honored and who is shamed, right? Shamed or cursed, same thing for them. Who's honored and blessed? Who's cursed and shamed? Right. That's the that's the dynamic that they thought on. And so uh, scripture will oftentimes use the word blessing and use the word cursing. That'll, that'll be it. And that'll, that'll be basically like, to whom does God give his positive regard, his favor, not favoritism, but his favor. Like, wow, you are, uh, you are loved. I, I care so much about you. That's blessing of God. Whereas cursing would be like, uh, uh, depart from me. I, I never knew you. Right, you and I don't have a relationship, and I I have no need to uh, to uh, to pull out from my resources and and give them to you because you want nothing to do with me, right? And there's this uh, there's a sense of, of blessing and cursing, and uh, and those are the the two major dynamics in in how uh, the the Israelites the Jews would uh, would communicate on like uh, on on value. the The Jewish understanding of blessing was to be Jewish, to be male to be rich, and to be healthy. If you were a Jewish man with a lot of money and in good health, man, you were blessed. God must really love you. And if you were a Gentile and a woman and you were poor and you were diseased, well, obviously you're cursed by God, right? You should be ashamed of yourself. You're a disgrace, and that's why God is doing this to you. 
And they'd, uh, they kind of had this, this regard for one another that said, like, if th- these good things are happening to you, then you're blessed. And if these bad things happen to you, you're cursed. It's either your sin or your parents' sin. That's kind of a, this discussion that happens in John 8 and 9, right? Like, Jesus says, uh, he has to correct that thought. And he says, like, it's, it's not about if your parents sinned or if you sinned, you know, when, when circumstances don't go your way. That's not it. You know, it's, 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 that's, not, that's not actually the, the, uh, the causation there. But uh, here's Jesus, and he, he, he comes out to this, this audience, this religious audience, from all sorts of different demographics, with all sorts of different theological dispositions, and all of them are agreed on certain things. First, they're just, you know, they're all just going to uh, pretty much agree on the Jewish uh, scriptures, you know, the, the, the Hebrew scriptures, right? They're going to agree that Yahweh God is the God of Israel, and you know, they believe in him, and that's why they're out to see Jesus. That's the, that's the curiosity. What, what is this guy all about? How come he can do all these divine things from heaven? And they have a unified understanding of blessing. They think if you're Jewish, male, rich, healthy, you're blessed. That was just the cultural regard for blessing. So when Jesus walks out onto the scene, he stands up on this mountainside and all the crowds are gathered and they, you know, they all sit down or something and they're ready. And he opens his mouth and he speaks. His first words to his audience was meant to shatter their worldview on who's blessed and who's cursed. To completely redefine and reform their understanding of who had God's positive regard and who did not. And the way that Jesus says it, he names these people that nobody thinks is at the top of society. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those are, uh, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the ones who are persecuted for righteousness. And he names these people that, uh, that in, in that society, they were going through hard times, right? If you're mourning, you're in, you're in a tough situation. Something tragic has happened. And so you're mourning, Something bad is going on, and you're mourning over something bad. Which is why blessed can't mean happy. It can't be uh, happy is the unhappy one. You know, that's, that's not the way that Jesus is trying. Like, you know, if you say blessed means happy, you have to kind of start playing around with the definition of what happy means until it doesn't mean happy anymore. So it's not an emotion. Blessed is not an emotion. Blessed is, uh, means that God has... has He's looking at you and he sees what you're going through, being poor in spirit or mourning or, or meek and hungry and thirsty for righteousness. He sees this and his regard is positive. He's like, wow, look at you. You know, like, I'm, I'm so proud of you. I'm, I care about you. And this is amazing that, that your heart is in this place, right? Because all of these, if you look at them, are spiritual virtues. Now, uh, poor in spirit, uh, maybe another word for that would be humble, right? Someone who's not full of themselves and someone who's not uh, puffed up in spirit, Conceited, arrogant, proud, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, meek means like you're, you know, you, you get the idea. These are all virtues, right? Meek is like you're, you're, you're gentle. You're not going to like hurt people. You, you know, you, uh, you don't exercise your strength uh, just, to, just to gloat and flex. You, you know, you, you, you know how to have your power under control, right? So there are all these different ways that Jesus re- uh, describes the people who are blessed. Even those who mourn, 
uh, mourning is a virtue if you're mourning for the right reasons. And I will, I will explain that in a moment. But all of these things that he talks about, he says, these are the people who are blessed. And for his original audience, they would have sat there going, how can this be? Like, who is this guy coming here telling us that the peasants in society, the poor people and, uh, and the sick people, like they can be blessed by God. They're not rich. They're not, you know, they're not healthy. A bunch of them aren't men. And a lot of this, these people aren't even Jewish. And look how Jesus doesn't use any of those definitions. He's, he just says, well, these are the people who are blessed. And he talks about this attitude of the heart, right? He talks about this, this posture of the heart. And he says, these are the people who are blessed. And, uh, and all, you know, like that whole thing is bookended, right? Uh, verses three through 10, blessed are the poor in spirit, there's the kingdom of heaven. And then blessed, 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 blessed. And blessed are those who are persecuted, for there's the kingdom of heaven. And you got this nice little eight-part blessing description, right? It's poetic. And you go, well, okay, uh, I get that part. And then he keeps going in verse 11 and 12. And it's weird. It's, uh, and this is outside of that eight-verse, you know, little section there, right? It says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And, uh, and this is kind of the, this is the exegetical key, right? This is the, the interpretive key to understanding the uh, verses 3 through 10. All of the people that he described in verses 3 through 10 would be people in that society that would be reviled and persecuted and, uh, and spoken of uh, falsely, against, you know, with all kinds of evil. Like, you know, where people would, uh, would make fun of them or think you're cursed by God, God doesn't love you, right? If you're, uh, if you're not... Think, like, it's not even that different in our society, right? Our society worships self-esteem and confidence and be true to yourself, right? Uh, do whatever floats your boat, whatever makes you happy, right? You have to be supreme to yourself in our society. You have to be your own God. And, you know, like, uh, you can help others and stuff, but you got to help yourself first before you can help others. You know, the, the, the notion of sacrifice is ridiculous, Right? It's not compatible with our, uh, with our societal values. And, uh, and because of that, and that's not very different from Israel. Because of that, uh, the sense of like you have to be great and you have to be mighty, you have to be confident and all that stuff says that's blessing. You know, look at who you are. Look at how good you are. Look at what you've done. Look at what you've gone through. And people respect you for that. And that's what we boast about. Right? Look at who I am. Look at uh, how good I am. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've gone through. And we boast about that kind of stuff. And you can't boast about being poor in spirit because then you're not poor in spirit. Right? You can't walk around being like, oh, I'm so humble. Man, I wish, I wish people were as humble as me. You can't do that, right? Because now that's become pride. You can't boast in these things. Oh, I'm, I am mourning. Yeah, I am, I am grieving. You know, you can't, you can't go around doing that. What is it about these eight blessings that he gave in, in verses 3 through 10, and how do they relate to verses 11 and 12? The eight beatitudes, the eight blessings he gave, 
describe people who are reviled, persecuted, and spoken of with uh, all kinds of, uh, of falsehood, right? And, uh, and look, at, look at how he uh, says that in verse 11. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. On my account. Even the way that he ends verse, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Right? So it's not just uh, being poor in spirit is uh, you're blessed if, you're, uh, if you have low self-esteem. It's not that. It's if you're, if you're humble in heart because of Jesus, because you know that Jesus is righteous and you're not, because you know that, uh, that you come before him uh, with sinful nature, you come before him as a sinner unless he's, uh, until he does something about that, until he pays that, uh, the price for your sin, you come before him unworthy, fallen, Right? Until you come before him mourning for righteousness' sake, mourning on his account, mourning over your sinfulness, mourning over the evil inside you, mourning over the things that he would mourn over, mourning over sin, mourning over tragedy, mourning over injustice that you see around you. Those are the things you should be mourning for. It's not just like, oh, my pet fish died, I'm mourning. And it's not you're blessed because you're mourning for your, uh, your pet fish. It's if you're mourning for the things that he mourns for on his account, right? On his behalf, in representation of him. If Jesus would mourn, and so you mourn, blessed are you, where God looks at you and says, wow, you and I care about the same things. What I care about, you care about. My heart, your heart. And his regard for you, he says, you, I honor you right? I lift you up. Uh, your life on earth is, is you know, it's, it's racked with, with, uh, with difficulty and hardship and, and pain and tragedy at times, depending on your season. And he says, I know what you're going through. And I know that it's temporary. You don't see it as temporary. You think this is just life and you're stuck in it. But I know it's temporary. And I want you to know I'm watching you navigate through this and you're navigating through it on, on my account, right? You're, you're caring about what I care about. You love what I love and you hate what I hate. You mourn over what I, I mourn over. You know who you are in relation to me. And I honor you. What would it mean to a peasant in that day, looking at the religious elite and stuff, and they all run the show and, and everything, but then here comes this man who is rumored to be the Messiah, who can do incredible signs from heaven. And the first thing he says is, you are blessed. You think you're the bottom of society. You think no one cares about you. You think it doesn't matter what you do because nobody notices. Nobody's thanking you. Nobody's applauding you. Nobody's admiring you. Nobody's wishing they could be like you. And so you think, I'm nothing. I'm no one. And then Jesus is saying, well, I, I know why you do what you do. And you do it for me. Blessed are you. God has his favor upon you. The idea would have been extremely liberating for those who felt like they were on the outside, right? For, uh, for the Gentile, for women, for the poor, for the unhealthy. It would have been extremely liberating to hear who you think is the Messiah come up and say, you too are blessed. 
And in, in, in this, you, uh, you know, by saying you too, he's saying he's, Jesus obviously is blessed and he's, he's walking around saying, you, you belong with me. You're blessed too, right? They think, oh, he's, he's blessed, he's the Messiah. But Jesus is like, it's, it's not just me, it's you too. But he's excluding certain people, right? His words would have been a trigger for all the religious leaders in Israel, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The way that they heard that the way that, uh, that they received his message would have been a challenge to everything they've been teaching, the way that they've uh, set up and structured their society, you know, the, the, uh, the, the whole regard that they're trying to maintain for themselves, right? They do all this religious stuff in order to look religious, and they walk around and they, they, uh, they judge other people in such a way that, uh, you know, that uh, people know that they fall short of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees say, you know, they, they talk about how many uh, thousands of, of commandments they, they obey. They're like, you know, what, 613 or something like that in the Old Testament, and they've added on like 1,500, right? The Pharisees created extra laws and stuff, and all of those guarded the, the externals. You can't walk this much on the Sabbath or else that count, constitutes work. You can't lift this many ounces of milk or that counts as work. And so you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath, so obey these commandments on top of that. And they, they make everything external. They make everything about the action so that you can sit there and uh, check a list and be like, I didn't do this, I didn't do this, I did do this, I did, you know, and you can just kind of walk through that. And they go, because I followed all these rules, I'm better than you. And Jesus goes, this, it really comes down to the heart. It really comes down to whether or not your heart is going after God's heart. Right? Where God would look at you and say, my heart, your heart. When Jesus opens up with these words, blessed are the, and he just names the, the bottom of society, those who, who, whom, uh, who thought that they were cursed. When he does that, it would be like, um, I mean, th- th- there's so many ways you, you could do this today because, you know, uh, Christianity just, it triggers a lot of people, right? Imagine going to a feminist rally uh, and you're like the keynote speaker. Everyone's, you know, waiting to hear what you say because maybe you're, I don't know, you're, you're a big business person and, you know, just having your, your face up there, it, it gives them some kind of uh, publicity, right? You walk up and the first thing you say is the man is the head of the woman, 1 Corinthians 11. Well, what, what would be the reaction? The first thing you say, right? What, what would be the reaction if you said something like that in a group like that? You know, you, you, you look at, uh, you look at the, the people that Jesus is talking to and what he said, he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew who he was setting free and he knew who, who he was bringing under fire. And the Pharisees knew it too. They, they knew exactly what he was doing. Like this is, this is not okay. And wouldn't you agree that Jesus walked around uh, for what, three years of ministry and uh, he started teaching things and doing things and stuff. And uh, all of that stuff that he did infuriated the people of Israel, the, the leaders of Israel, such that they murdered him, right? They, they had him killed. They had him crucified. Would you agree that that happened? Okay, let's, let's uh, assume that we're all nodding our heads to this, right? Jesus did something to upset the religious elite and people in power so that they killed him. What did he do? Was it that he walked around and, and uh, healed people? No, wasn't that. When he did that, uh, they were like, wow, this is the Messiah. Was it that he walked around and did miracles like feeding people? 
with, uh, you know, with, with tons of bread? They, no, it wasn't that because when he did that, they're like, let's make him king. Was it that he, he walked around uh, and, uh, and he would uh, do things like calming storms, walk on water, right? Turn water into wine. Was it that kind of stuff? No, because everyone says, oh, this must be a man of God. Was it even his teaching? You know, when, when he would teach, it wasn't necessarily his teaching. They were astonished. They'd see this guy speaks like he has authority, he has incredible wisdom. And there would be like this back and forth of like, either they're upset because he's saying something different than what they thought, or they're very entertained by the fact that Jesus is just owning the, the, the religious leaders, you know, who are trying to trap him and confound him. What is it that Jesus did that uh, upset the leader so much that they killed him? And it was just the fact that he, he just started calling shots like the leaders were not in charge and he was. It, it, that's ultimately what it is. He walked out he says, uh, hey, let me tell you who's really blessed. I'll tell you who's really blessed because society has a voice. You've heard that it was said but I tell you. And he has now uh, put himself in contraposition to the people that are running the country. And he's walking around saying, this is who's blessed. I know who's blessed. Now you have to choose. Do you believe what the society around you is telling you? Or do you believe this man, Jesus? And how infuriating that must be because every Pharisee out there was a PhD, right? Uh, they, were the, the, they were the most educated and they were educated in, in ways that, uh, I mean, you, you, you can't fathom how, how, how well they knew their stuff. You know, um, Sermon on the Mount, I tell you, this, like, uh, these three chapters, all of life is in it. And uh, I oftentimes encourage people to memorize the Sermon on the Mount, right? Uh, I've done it, a couple of you have done it. I remember I told Eddie to do it, and he just did it. I was like, wow. You know, uh, Elias did it, my son, right? Uh, and you can do it, you know? It's possible. You look at these three, three chapters, you're like, I can never do that. And then you spout off, like, you know, the entire soundtrack to Hamilton, right? You can, you can memorize that, but then, like, you know, you look at the sermon, right? And you're like, oh, I can't do it. This is just the words of life. But I, instead, I'm going to talk about, uh, you know, rap battles between historical figures in the United States. But here's Jesus. He's saying, like, this is where blessing is. This is what it is. He's triggering everybody, right? Everyone who's hearing this, they're, they're reacting to this. and They're like, oh, my goodness, this is, like, something's going to go down here. And he's saying it like he's in charge, like he knows. Because you either have to take the blessing of the Pharisees or you have to take the blessings of Jesus. You have to take the blessing of society or you have to take the blessing of Jesus, right? Who's doing the blessing Who's, whose blessing are you going after? Because if you go after society's blessing, they go, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll give you money and, and uh, all sorts of popularity and influence, right? We'll give you property and possessions. We'll, we'll give you accolades and acclaim. We'll, we'll applaud your name. We'll, we'll give you statues and, and, and monuments. We'll, we'll do stuff like that for you. We'll, we'll make you a celebrity, People will, uh, will hashtag you and, uh, you know, and, and they'll, they'll all follow your, your social media accounts and stuff. People will, will think that you're incredible. And that's what we want. Right? Or we want to boast about our job. We want to boast about our income. We want to boast about how much we have. 
Because we think that's blessing. Look at who I am. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've gone through. Right? Just That's what we think is blessing. And Jesus walks out and says, that's not a blessing. That's, that's garbage by comparison. He says, what, what's blessing? Blessed are the ones who go after my heart. Blessed are the ones who go after the Father's heart. Completely different rubric. And you got to ask yourself, which blessing you're going after? And whoever's giving you that blessing, that's where they're leading you, wherever they're going. The world is going to hell. Jesus is preparing a kingdom. The world is going to eternal destruction. Jesus is setting up eternal paradise. And whatever blessing you're going after, the one who's doing the blessing, that's the one leading you. Right? You go after them. You follow after them. They say, come, do, do what I do. Follow after me. Care what I care about. And you'll go where I go. And you'll be like me. And you'll end up like me. One goes to cursing and shame and destruction and punishment. One goes to glory. Jesus would do this uh, over and over and over again. It wouldn't just be about blessing, right? Uh, he would walk around just right after the Sermon on the Mount, right? Uh, that's chapters five, six, seven. At the beginning of chapter eight, the first thing he does, he's, he's like walking down from the mountain, he sees a, a leper. And the leper's like, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, I am willing. Come here. And he, he, he touches the guy and he's like, be clean. Didn't need to touch the guy, but he, he just did because he, he just, his favor was upon him, right? This guy comes out in faith and says, Jesus, I need you. You're the only one that can do this, right? I have leprosy. No one can cure leprosy. Not in that time. Not, there's no way. And Jesus is like, you, you're blessed. Come here. And he places his hand on him. He says, be clean. And immediately the man's cleaned, right? And he's, he's cleansed. Uh, his, his leprosy is, is, is gone. And then Jesus goes, all right, now go show yourself to the priest and, uh, and let, him, you know, let him examine you and stuff as a proof. And then he'll know that you're clean. He doesn't say go to the priest so that the priest can do something to make you clean. He says, I've made you clean. Now go to the priest and show him. And he has to, he has to let everyone know that you are clean because of me. Right? So here's Jesus saying, I decide who's clean. And by, by clean, it wasn't just uh, who's physically healthy, but uh, that word clean and unclean, that meant like who's acceptable to God, right? It had a spiritual uh, definition under it. If you're diseased, they're like, oh, you got to stay outside the camp and you got to, you know, because death and disease can't come near God. And that was just, even, God established that rule. But, you know, the Israelites didn't turn that into a way of understanding God. They turned it into a way of excluding people. You know, they saw it as hatred and uh, you, you, you're disgraced, you're shamed, you know, you're cursed. But here's Jesus saying, no, 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 you're clean. I tell you, you're clean. He'd go around and do that. In the next chapter, Matthew chapter nine, there's like a, a paralyzed man. His friends come and, and uh, you know, bring this paralyzed man to Jesus. And, uh, you know, Jesus looks at the man and he goes, um, all right, I see you. Now, your sins are forgiven, and, you know, here's the paralyzed guy. He's on the mat. He's like, well, okay, thank, thank you. But uh, I also have this paralysis thing going on here. So maybe you can, you know. And then here's Jesus. You know, he's just standing there. He's like, but your sins are forgiven. And all the religious leaders are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who forg- You can't just forgive sins. 
You know, you can't just forget. That wouldn't, wouldn't make any sense. Let, let's, say that, uh, let's say that you have a kid and some bully comes and just wails on your kid, like beats him into the ground, right? And then like I show up at your door and I'm like, hey, I forgive that bully, right? You'd be like, who are you? Like, what, what role do you have in this? What, you, you can't do, you have nothing to do with this, right? You have no, no right to forgive the bully. I'm, I'm mad at the bully and you can't, you can't do that, right? Well, here's Jesus, this peasant from Podunkville, it's Nazareth, you know, nothing good can come out of Nazareth, John 1, right? So he's walking around. This guy, he's got no, no education, uh, you know, like, like credits or degrees or things to, to claim for, uh, for anyone to be astounded by. He's a son of a carpenter from like this illegitimate thing that went on where like when his parents were engaged, she was pregnant with him. And so she starts going around saying, oh, we didn't, we didn't break any rules here. Uh, the Holy Spirit just put a baby inside my body. And everyone's like, okay, right, sure. And, uh, and, and he's just born in this family that's, that's, that's cursed, He's walking around, but he could do these incredible things. And he's saying, I decide who's clean. And I decide who's forgiven. And look, just so you know that I have the power to forgive, just so you know I can do the invisible thing of forgiving people's sins, I'll show you the visible thing. Get up and walk. And then the paralyzed guy gets up and he starts walking around. And everyone's mind is blown. Because Jesus is, you know, he, he just proved some divine authority and power over creation physical proof that this guy could just get up and walk when he was paralyzed. So when he said your sins are forgiven, is that true or not? Does Jesus have the divine authority and power to do it? He just proved that he did. He could decide who's clean. He could decide who's forgiven. In John 2, he, he walks into the temple and he sees like he's in the outer courts of the temples where the Gentiles are supposed to come and worship. But instead, it's this big business enterprise. It's a swap meet of all these animals that are being sold for, for uh, the sacrifices. It's just for the Jews and all the Gentiles. They can't pray. They can't sing. They can't hear a sermon in there, right? It's, 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 a, it's a madhouse. There's way too much stuff going on. So Jesus, like he makes a whip out of cords and he's just throwing tables over and driving out animals and and you know, all the money's going on the ground and stuff. Like, this is the Jesus you don't really talk about in Sunday school to the kids, right? You don't show pictures of this and YouTube clips of this moment, right? You, you kind of have, you, you have the, the Jesus holding children or a lamb or on a ship behind the guy with the steering wheel and he's just pointing or you have those pictures, but you don't have, you don't have Jesus like kicking over tables and flipping stuff and, you know, whipping things. Like, you don't really get those pictures and then here's Jesus doing that and he's saying, this is not the way to worship, this is not okay. You can't do this in my father's house. And here's Jesus doing 2,000 years ago his own little protest. And it's not like we should be imitating that because, you know, this is his house. It's his father's house, right? It, it, he's not going into government property as much as the Jews thought it was just that uh, belongs to the nation of Israel. No, it's God's house. And Jesus happens to be God. And he's like, what are you doing? Get out. So he's throwing all these tables over and all the, all the coins and stuff, and he's saying, like, this is not how worship's supposed to happen. And that's what he would do consistently over and over and over again. This is who's blessed. This is who's clean. This is who's forgiven. This is how you worship. And everyone goes, who do you think you are? And all the leaders of Israel look stupid, and they sound wrong because he's doing all this stuff, and uh, while he's doing it, he's 
casting out demons. So they're like, oh, wow, he, he has the power of heaven. And he's doing miracles. Wow, he has the power of God. He's teaching with incredible wisdom. They say he has the wisdom of heaven. And so the religious leaders again and again, over and over and over again, look stupid in front of him, just humiliated time and time again, and they can't take it. And they say, no, this guy needs to die because he's turned everything upside down. That's what Jesus did. He went toe-to-toe, not, not necessarily with government, he went toe-to-toe with religion, with human, with human effort to establish some system to get to God with all these rules and rituals and sacraments and laws. and He took the whole thing apart. And he just says, if you live with your heart tuned to my heart, if you live on account of me, and even if all this this hard stuff, this terrible stuff happens to you, if other people start reviling you and persecuting you, falsely saying all kinds of evil against you, but that happens because you're living on account of me. You must know who I am. I am God in flesh. And I tell you, you are blessed. Greatly favored are you. I hold you in high regard. You who feel like you're at the bottom, you're being stepped on, you don't matter, nobody notices you, nobody sees you. I see you and I honor you. And where I'm going is where you will be because mine is the kingdom of heaven. And so yours is the kingdom of heaven. So whatever you go through now, you'll go through. But then for eternity, you have me. Blessing does not come from saying, look how good I am. Look at what I've done. Look at how much I've, I've gone through. That glorifies self, not God. That praises you, not Christ. Blessing comes from saying, Lord, I'm weak and unworthy. I don't compare to you. I can't call the shots. I'm not God. I'm not Lord. I have no real authority of my own. I come before you poor in spirit, broken and contrite. I mourn over sin and death, over injustice and tragedy. I mourn over the things that you mourn over. I mourn over all that needs to be fixed in this broken world. I want my strength not to be used just to gloat, but I want meekness. I come to bring my strength to build others up, not to break people down. I'm desperate to be righteous. And I have to be desperate to be righteous because I know that I am not. And I have to be desperate because I can never be. You have to give me something 
to give me righteousness. You have to put righteousness in me because I myself am not righteous. I hunger and thirst. I need righteousness. And it doesn't come from me. I don't self-generate it. And I can only extend mercy on the weak because I find mercy from God. You're merciful to sinners and so I want to be merciful. I have one agenda, one motive before God and that's to worship Him alone. That there's a purity in my heart where I'm not trying to use God to get the thing that I want. It's not these mixed motives and ulterior agendas and stuff. But there's a purity to it. This oneness to it. All I want is to glorify the Lord. And I make peace with my enemies because that's what God does. He makes peace even while we were enemies with Him, while we were still sinners. He makes peace. And I accept persecution in Jesus' name because He accepted murder to rescue me. I'll take persecution since He took torture and death. Blessing comes from standing before the Lord and saying, God, I am not after the blessing of this world because I know who's giving that blessing. I know who's doing that blessing and I know what's going to happen to them. I come for the, for the blessing that comes from you. To have a high regard from God, to be honored by God because I know who you are. I know what you've done and I know where you're going and I want to be with you forever and ever. I completely derailed from my notes. There's a million things that I want to say. Uh, we're just going to stop there, pick it up next time. But When Jesus gave this sermon, he knew exactly what he was doing. He was turning the world upside down. Look, the way we're living right now, you know, we got lockdown and quarantine going on and everything, you know, and and uh, we start drifting. We start wondering, like, what am I doing? I don't, I don't get to see anyone. I don't get to hang out with my friends. I don't, you know, it's just work and then come home and stay home and watch TV all day, right? There's, there's not, you can't do much. And so there's this sense of, of, of atrophy that takes place. And here's God and he, he sees us. He knows and he's just saying, be patient. Just hang on. Yeah, you got to wear masks. You got you to sanitize your hands, wash your hands and, you know, all that stuff. You got you to do it and just endure a little bit. Just hang, hang on. I, I know what's happening to you. I know what's happening to you. But if your heart is tuned to my heart, even though life is getting hard, even though, even though there's this, this despair that can set in for some people, or frustration, or just restlessness, boredom, even though we, we have no idea what we're supposed to be doing with ourselves right now, God says, hang on. Tune your heart to my heart. Know that blessing comes from me, not from you. Don't try to fill your time with all sorts of games and movies and things that'll just help you pass the days. But care about what I care about and figure out what you need to pray about. Figure out what you need to say or what, what message you can send to people that might need to hear a word of encouragement. Figure out how you should spend your time. Figure out how you can focus and, and, and be sharpened, be reminded of the gospel and of, and of God's grace. 
do all that. Tune your heart to Jesus' heart. And he'll see you. He'll see what you're going through. And he'll remind you that despite how hard it is for now, blessed are you forever. If you believe it, say amen. Let's pray. God, there's so much more that can be said and uh, our hope, Lord, is simply that we can understand and absorb the awesomeness of your opening statement in the greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We pray, God, that we would soak in every word and be reminded that the blessing of the world is diametrically opposed to what Jesus says is true blessing. Help us to look with sober eyes and wise judgment to know who's doing the blessing and to see who they are and where they're going. God, we pray that you would remind us that hardship is not forever, that difficulty is not cursing. It's not disgrace. It doesn't mean you've abandoned us. In a time like now, this is a moment for us to endure, to calibrate our hearts and tune it to yours, and to remember that you are the source of blessing, blessing for eternity. And so we want to trust in you. Nourish your people, God. Maintain their strength. Brighten their hearts. Remind them again and again that this season is just a season. And that heaven with you is forever. We hope, Lord, that we would use the time well. Redeem the time to encourage others and still build one another up even from a distance to remind the saints that they are the people of God. Take care of us in this way, Lord, and do it for your glory. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.